Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I am delighted to have you. Uh, I wrote a book years ago, probably 2015, uh, early 2016, called You Will Be Made to Care. Now, let, let me let me explain to you where the title comes from. When I was the editor of redstate.com, sometime around um, the Obergefell decision that legalized gay marriage across the country, I, I was writing about it that this would have uh, effects even on uh, heterosexual couples in the country and on Christians in this country. And a lot of people said, no, it won't. No, it won't. Um, my my gay marriage doesn't affect you. Well, a guy commented and said, I don't care about the issue. I simply don't care. I don't care if two men get married. I don't care if two women get married. I don't care if a man and a dog get married. I don't care if a woman and a horse get married. I don't care if three people get married of different sexes. I don't care if three people of the same sex get married. I simply do not care. And I replied back to him, and I said, you will be made to care. You will be forced to take a position, and if you choose poorly, you will be punished. You will be made to care. The left and secular society will not allow you to say you don't care about the issue because they care greatly, and if they care, you must care, and you must care one way or the other, and you will be made to care became a phrase that has been picked up by others. Uh, most people give me credit for coming up with it. I did come up with it and ultimately was challenged to write a book uh, about the issue. Uh, in fact, it was uh, Matt Lewis who writes at the Daily Beast now, has been on CNN. Uh, he had been a, a conservative activist for a long time. And someone had approached him to write a book about that issue, and he emailed me and said, look, you have to write this book and call it You Will Be Made to Care. People want this book written. So I wrote the book, You Will Be Made to Care. My baby Bill Blankshane helped me write it. And it was about the ongoing rise of persecution of Christians in America and how the left, to advance their social agenda, required that people of faith be silent or conform. You will be made to care. If, By the way, if you want to order the book, you can text the show number, 877-973-7425. Uh, text the word book to that number. I, I normally use 33777. I couldn't in this case. But if you text the word book to 877-973-7425, the call-in number for the show, you'll get back a link to my book at Amazon. You can order it. You will be made to care. You can order that book. It, it's it's somewhat prescient these days. It, it actually is, believe it or not, given the dynamics that we're facing right now. Thus brings me to uh, the Beckett Fund. A religious couple in Massachusetts has taken the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to court because the state of Massachusetts banned them from welcoming vulnerable children into their home through the foster care program. Mike and Kitty Burke wanted to foster and someday adopt children in need of a family. Massachusetts has a foster care crisis. They do not have enough families helping to foster kids. They're institutionalizing kids in state-run facilities because they don't have enough foster families to help out. 
Despite the foster care crisis, state officials have refused to allow the Burks to foster children in the state. The reason is because they are Catholic. And they believe in Catholic values on marriage, sexuality, and gender. Mike and Kitty Burke want parents or want to be parents. Mike is an Iraq War veteran. Kitty is a former paraprofessional for special needs kids. They run a business and perform music for mass in their congregation. They began exploring becoming foster parents with an eye towards adopting children in need of a stable home. After months of interviews and training and after years of heartbreak, we were on the verge of becoming parents. We were devastated to learn that Massachusetts would rather children sleep in the hallways of hospitals than welcome them into our home. The Department of Children and Families in Massachusetts does not have enough foster homes or facilities to meet the needs of kids in care. 1,500 kids are institutionalized. The crisis has become so extreme, the state has begun housing children in hospitals for weeks. During the application process, Mike and Kitty went through hours of training, extensive interviews, and an examination of their home. They completed the training successfully. They received high marks from the instructors. But during the home interviews... The Burks were troubled by the questions about their faith. They were asked about their Catholic views on sexual orientation and gender dysphoria. They said they'd love and accept any child, no matter the child's future sexual orientation or struggles with gender identity. They wanted to help the kids. They wanted to be parents. But because they said they would hold to their religious beliefs, they were denied the right to foster According to the state government official, quote, their faith is not supportive. That's what the government official wrote. Their faith is not supportive. Department of Children and Family officials said that while the Burks had strength, their answers about sexuality and gender barred them for being licensed into the foster care system. You should know Massachusetts law protects the religious liberty of foster parents. But it doesn't matter. Despite religious liberty protections in the Massachusetts Constitution and the federal Constitution, Department of Children and Family Services in Massachusetts denied the Burks from being in the foster care system because, quote, their faith is not supportive. This is happening. It's happening in the United States of America. You should know, by the way, that uh, religious families— in the United States are more likely to participate in foster care than anyone else. According to Pew Research, 65% of non-kin foster parents attend religious services weekly, compared to only 39% of the general population. When actively, and this is from uh, uh, Cato, Cato Institute, Barna Research has found that practicing Christians are more than twice as likely to adopt as the general population. 
These findings also show that practicing Christians were more likely to adopt older children, children with special needs, and other children considered hard to place. When actively recruited and organized and supported, the service can have a profound impact not on individual children but system-wide. For example, in Arkansas, more than 40% of foster homes are recruited by a single faith-based group, The Call of Arkansas. It's a Christian group that recruits families into foster care. And they're being shut out in Massachusetts if they adhere to their faith. What's happening, and I've actually, I'm writing a book on this. It's written. It's in the editorial stage. I have written a book. It comes out early next year on how what we're seeing in the country right now can best be explained as secularism itself has become a religion. And it is a jealous religion that does not want competition from other religions. And so you have this historic Judeo-Christian faith that believes God created all of us and made us male and female, and secularism that believes we are each a God, there is no other God, and we can make ourselves male and female. And the secular religion doesn't like competition. You will be made to care. That ultimately is the problem we're facing in the country is we will be made to care. You will be forced to care. The government is now forcing everyone to take sides. None of us, by the way, want to take sides. None of us want to be forced into these positions. None of us want to have to fight the government for our religious religious freedom, none of us want to have to do that. But we have to do it because the government is otherwise forcing us. We, we have no choice at this point. So let, let, me, let me just read you the beginning of, of You Will Be Made to Care. This is, it starts with a quote from Michelle Obama, <laughs> intentionally. Our faith journey isn't just about showing up on Sunday for a good sermon and good music and a good meal. It's about what we do on Monday through Saturday as well, especially in those quiet moments when the spotlight's not on us and we're making those daily choices about how to live our lives. That's from Michelle Obama, whose husband argued in court that uh, the freedom of religion in the U.S. Constitution actually applies to worship on Sunday exclusively. He was rejected nine to nothing, even by his uh, Sotomayor and Elena Kagan on the Supreme Court rejected that view. Kelvin Cochran always dreamed of becoming a firefighter, but Kelvin did more than dream. He rose to the pinnacle of his profession. He served as America's fire chief before being blindsided by the city of Atlanta which abruptly terminated his relationship in 2015. Kelvin Cochran was fired for having the audacity to write a book about his Christian beliefs. Chief Cochran's dedicated career began in Shreveport, Louisiana, where he grew up in a family that was abandoned by their father when Kelvin was quite young. His mother and five brothers and sisters survived on welfare and food stamps living in a government project. Kelvin recalls times when his mother would have the children fill every pot and jug with water, knowing the water company was going to cut off the family. They had to light their home with candles when they couldn't afford electricity. 
By the end of each month, his mother had only enough money to buy mayonnaise and bread. The six kids would eat mayonnaise on toast for breakfast, mayonnaise sandwiches for lunch, and mayonnaise sandwiches for dinner. If they wanted something sweet to drink, they had to make do with a couple teaspoons of sugar and a glass of water. Poverty was a terrible thing, he said. After church one Sunday afternoon, the family heard sirens in the alley outside their house. When Kelvin opened the door, he saw a big red Shreveport fire department truck. The house where the firefighters were battling to douse the flames belonged to Miss Katie across the street. Seeing them in action that day sparked Kelvin's imagination. When I saw those firefighters, I was smitten. All I ever thought about growing up after that point was being a firefighter, escaping from poverty, having a family. I realized how terrible it was not to have a daddy at home. When he shared his dream with grown-ups, they told him that your dream will come true if you go to school, treat other people like you want to be treated, respect authority, and have faith in God. In 1981, he became one of the first black firefighters in the Shreveport, Louisiana Fire Department. He was promoted to captain in just four years. He became an assistant chief of training after 10 years, fire chief of the Shreveport Fire Department after 18 years of service. He served faithfully in that role when he was recruited by Atlanta Mayor Shirley Franklin to serve as fire chief for the largest city in the southeast. As fire chief of Atlanta, Cochran oversaw more than 1,100 personnel serving in 36 fire stations across the city, including some at Atlanta's airport, the busiest airport in the world, had a budget of $140 million responsible for fire and rescue field operations and emergencies that were not law enforcement related. He was entrusted with tremendous responsibility, and then the president of the country picked him to be the U.S. Fire Administrator for the Department of Homeland Security in August of 09. Barack Obama sent him there, and then ultimately he wound up going back to the city of Atlanta to continue being firefighter until they fired him for writing a book for his Sunday school class. A year after he wrote it with the city's permission, they fired him for having written it because he quoted scripture about homosexuality. And so they fired him. That happened in Atlanta, Georgia. And now in Massachusetts, if you're a faithful Christian, you can't be in the foster care program. You will be made to care. Christian persecution is on the rise in this country, and it's the government itself doing it. What's happening can be stopped, but you got to be wise when you vote. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations, and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They could cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. 
Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, and the phone number is 877-973-7425. There's a massive crime wave in Washington, D.C. right now. So much violence in Washington, so many murders and shootings that members of the city council are asking for the National Guard to come help. Remember in 2020 when Tom Cotton ran an op-ed in the New York Times saying that the National Guard should help quell the violence. Reporters at the Times freaked out. The editor lost his job, got fired for having published the opinion of a sitting United States senator. This is crazy. Uh, U.S. Attorney for D.C. Matthew Graves, the Biden appointee whose office prosecutes most adult crime in D.C., told residents Tuesday night he knows how to reduce D.C.'s surge in gun violence. 148 lives taken this year alone. Um, He says he's focusing on the relatively small group of people driving most of D.C.'s gun crime. A 2022 study found as few as 500 identifiable people, many of them involved in neighborhood crews or cliques, are responsible for 70% of the city's shootings. He insisted in his remarks on Tuesday that proactively trying to catch and jail these people will bring down the level of violence. The problem here is that he's not prosecuting 65% of the crimes in the city. He's just not prosecuting crimes, and it's emboldened the criminals. And this is a direct hire from Joe Biden, which tells you what would happen nationwide if Biden really controlled law enforcement everywhere. This whole thing, I just, I mean, we feel like we're headed into a recession. I think we are. We've got 22-year high interest rates. Banks have collapsed. This is such a good time to introduce you guys to Swiss America. So I have a walking Liberty half dollar from Swiss America. It is a silver dollar. It's a beautiful. Well, it's a half dollar technically. It's beautiful. I really, really like it. You can get one. Get one for your kids. Get one for yourself for $13.50 each. You can only get up to $250 of them. Supplies last. It's a walking Liberty half dollar. It's gorgeous. You know, get them for your kids. Get them interested in precious metals. Get them interested in the monetary system. It's a great way to do it. You call Swiss America, or you can even text them, 800-285-2646. 800-285, I'm sorry, 800-289, I can't read. 800-289-2646, 800-289-2646. Or you can go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric today, SwissAmerica.com slash Eric you mention me when you call or text 800-289-2646 or go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. You can get the Walking Liberty half dollar, the amazing low price, thirteen fifty each delivered, limit 250 coins per customer. Text or call them 289-2646 or SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. Message and data rates apply. Check out Swiss America. They can help you manage your precious metals as part of your portfolio. SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. 
and at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Hello there. It would actually help if I turned my microphone on, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, I... Where is this story? So I, I had a story. It's kind of funny. It's been memory hold at CNBC. But let me see if I can Google and find the story for you. Um, yes, here we go. They, they've they moved it. Um, they recirculated the story on CNBC. And I actually want to spend some time with it because it, it, it struck me as, as very interesting. A Harvard-trained psychologist, if you use any of these nine phrases every day, you're more emotionally secure than most. So uh, I will, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. So I, I bought a ticket for Mega Millions weeks ago. And I, I had like a $20 bill and I bought them and I just like, ah, just, just like, roll it over for every week same number so it got to last night i was like man gosh wouldn't that be great if i had the winning ticket here's all the stuff i would do i wouldn't quit my job i would go out immediately and, and buy land and build a house and get away from my neighbors and then uh, hire a bunch of extra people for radio to like kick up the degree of what we're doing with video and stuff and do all that sort of stuff and would like cancel all of my delta flights and just use priority jet but didn't happen that's okay and my view of things is, you know, clearly, one, God is undoubtedly protecting me from myself. But two, he's clearly got something much better for me in mind than just winning this pile of money up front. I got to work for it. I got to go. Got to grow radio. I got to bring in more affiliates, um, which is fine. I, I don't want to not work. Working has value for your soul. But you have these inner monologues with yourself. Actually, pause. Tangent. Did you know there are people who do not like have an inner dialogue? Did you know that? I, I, my, mind blown. Like my brain does not shut up. I understand the allure of drug addicts because my brain does not shut up. I go to bed at night in the middle of a thought and wake up in the morning and the thought continues. My brain spins constantly. It does not slow down. It gets exhausting sometimes. I'm always in thought. What am I going to do tomorrow? What is what am I what can I do to do a little better with radio? What am I going to talk about this topic? What am I going to say about this topic? What do I need to do? Have I fired Charlie and Philip recently enough? Do I need to fire them again? Do I need to humble them? Do I need to smack my kids around? Do they need to smack me around? What am I going to do? What bills do I have to pay? Uh what what, what do I need to be putting money towards? When are we going to start the Dave Ramsey party? I, I have this conversation constantly in my head and it doesn't stop. And I learned there are people who have silence in their head. They literally like can't 
have a dialogue in their head. They have to audibly say it. The people who talk to themselves out loud, that's them. They don't have the inner monologue. Everyone has to hear their inner monologue. It's the crazy. I had no idea there were people like that. I assumed everyone could like, like. Right now, I'm thinking in my head, I just said that in my head before I said it to you. There are people who can't do that. They have to say it out loud. It's the craziest thing. But all of us, even those weird people, actually, I shouldn't say that about 40% of Americans apparently talk to themselves out loud because they can't keep it inside. It, that's, it's just I can't even begin to relate to that. It's crazy. But all of us say things to ourselves. And I just, I'm... I'm interested in the whole phenomenon because one of the things in this article it highlights something that's happening right now. Um, so here are the th- here are the nine phrases that psychologists say if you tell them to yourself, you are emo- more emotionally resilient than other people. One. I can get through this, or as much as I hate this, I can survive it. Two, I'm not going to let myself be a victim. Or, in the alternative, even though I was a victim, I'm not going to let it define me or ruin my future. Three, life is hard, also phrased as, I won't always be happy with how things play out, but it's just part of the journey. Four, this too shall pass, or every day is an opportunity to feel a little better. Five, what can I learn from this? Six, I need some time. Seven, I still have things to be grateful for. Eight, it is what it is. Nine, I'm letting this go. Said another way, I forgive. Now, I want to dwell on these because there is a distinct pattern in American culture today, particularly with younger people, who are defining themselves by their victimhood. And they've lost their sense of humor. So I was watching a comedian on Netflix last night. And it was very funny, and he was talking about uh, people who just there. Well, we used to not be obsessed with race. Everyone used to just have friends. I had I had friends. Maybe they were black, Hispanic, whatever, Asian. It didn't matter. We were just friends. And and now you're explicitly expected to be conscious of your friend's skin color and and your differences. And you used to not be. And now everyone's obsessed with it. After Barack Obama, we elected our first black president. Now everybody hates everybody. And racism is out of control. Weird how that happened. And then afterwards, I saw a joke. A, a, someone sent this to me on Instagram, and I'm going to tell you the joke. There's a method to my madness. Y'all, I promise I'm not trying to cancel myself. We've talked about intersectionality before, have we not? How the left now sees people divided in the world based on a spectrum of attributes your, your skin color, your ethnicity, your faith, your gender, your sexual orientation, um, your, your body, your 
abilities or disabilities. And if you are a non-white, non-Christian, disabled, lesbian, transgender, you have all sorts of moral authority to speak. And if not, you don't. And and the goal of society now and the goal of culture must be to elevate the most disenfranchised above all of us. And we should, in every which way, platform the most intersectional person and elevate this person to a position so that the dominant white men, Christian, non-disabled, heterosexual people of America are put in their place. We must do that. And so the joke, see if I make Jim laugh. At the start of the football, National Football League season, the NFL has announced that for the first time ever, they will have a black, lesbian, transgender, double amputee, blind, deaf, and mute singer sing the national anthem. (laughs) Did you laugh at that or not? This is a point. It's a terrible joke, isn't it? I mean, how is a deaf, blind, mute person going to sing the national anthem? They're going, I mean, that that's that's just what's going to happen. And some of you are very offended, and that's the point of this. It's not to cancel myself. Say, if you can't laugh at that joke, if you can't laugh, if you can't see why people would find it funny, you don't relate to it, and you can't see that other people could either, you are in this list of people who are going to be miserable in life. Because not everything will be funny to you, but you should be able to understand why it's funny to other people. The celebrity culture of the world elevating the most intersectional person to sing who literally cannot sing because they're a mute. But they feel the, the, the white privileged people in the celebrity culture feel good about themselves because they did it. Never mind the person's about to embarrass themselves worse than Roseanne Barr trying to sing the national anthem back in the day. And then this idea that I, I won't be a victim. I'm not going to consider myself a victim. Do you know how many people in America today consider themselves victims and are deeply angry at society? In the next hour, we're going to talk about this couple, this black couple from Texas that's decided to move to Italy and abandon the United States because of the George Floyd riots and racism in America. How many people refuse to recognize that they can find joy in life? that bad things happen to everyone, that they're not being targeted, they're not oppressed, they're not a victim, They, but too many people define themselves as a victim these days? Let me go again to the second one because they, they alter the, these phrases. Number two one is I'm not going to let myself be a victim. And they offer a similar phrase when you say this to yourself. Even though I was a victim in the situation, I won't let it define me or ruin my future. The ability to let things go, the ability to forgive. Forgiveness is a harder and harder one these days because people want to dictate how they are forgiven. When someone slights you, you expect them to put their apology on a billboard, to dance around your house naked, yelling, shame on me, shame on me, and if they don't do it, you're not going to forgive them. I had a seminary professor one time who said, if you can't forgive people who've slighted you, you have your conscience has been more pricked than Christ on the cross because they're on the cross without anyone saying, dude, I'm sorry. He said, Father, forgive them. You can't forgive. You define yourself as a victim. We're seeing this in culture right now. The amount of people who want to be miserable, it is a choice 
to be miserable. It is a choice to see yourself perpetually as a victim. It is a choice. You get to make bad decisions and live with those decisions and they define yourself and then you get angry at other people because your own decisions that you work out. This explains like 90% of American politics right now too. People who suck and failed at life and made terrible decisions and now they just want to elect politicians who will spite the people they're mad at, who they blame. They made the bad decision. They failed at life, but yet they blame other people because they can't blame themselves, and they're going to find a politician who resonates with them to blame the other people as opposed to taking ownership for their life failures and bad decisions and stopping being a victim and stopping making bad decisions and learning to make good decisions. No, no, no. They'd rather have someone else go out and blame the people they blame because they can't blame themselves, so they've concocted a grand conspiracy theory to blame other people. As opposed to just saying, I'm not going to let myself be a victim. Tomorrow will be better. This too shall pass. I got to tell you, if more people were more willing to look at something bad and say, tomorrow will be better, I'm not a victim. We'd be better off as society. And the problem we have moving forward is that the younger generations are more and more likely, given the way they're being educated and indoctrinated, are more and more likely to just embrace the fact that they're a victim, perpetually so. It's a choice, folks, to be miserable or not. Let's go to the phones. Eric, who spells his name without a CK, I bet. Welcome to the show. You're absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you. I was sitting here thinking about it. Um, you know, you talking about uh, uh, the the internal chatter that you deal with. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD about twenty uh, some years ago, and I started out doing this this uh, uh, neurofeedback kind of therapy, right, where you watch this little Pac Man video game thing. And I one time I finished it when I was driving home for about fifteen or twenty minutes. It's the first time in my entire life. Nobody was talking in my head. It was absolutely silent. And it was, it was astonishing. So, and this kind of ties into, I was thinking about it where, where you're talking about victimhood, right? I started, I'm not a victim person, but in a way I was letting that turn me into a victim. I'm so unique. I've got this problem. So did, now I've, I've come away from that over the years, but to hear somebody admit it like you did, because mm-hmm. I'd always surround my surround myself with people who didn't understand that. So I felt so, yes, I felt like a victim. Like I was the weird one. Yeah. Listen, so it's really good to hear that. Well, listen, I appreciate that. My son, my 14 year old really has ADHD badly. And we resisted a very long time, uh, medicine or anything like that. And we, we finally at the encouragement of a lot of teachers sitting to someone and said, listen, we want him to do behavioral therapy as opposed to medicine. And she was like, listen, it's so bad. He registers so bad. You need to put him on a low dose of something for like the first year until we get into the behavioral therapy stuff. And it's really worked. So so he's, he doesn't have to take the medicine during the summer. We put him on it during the school year. It's very low dose. It doesn't make him groggy. He, but we give him like a uh, uh, one of those Swiss ball exercise balls to sit on so he yeah. can kind of bounce. It, it helps him focus. And But I finally had to tell him when, when he was complaining about missing homework or something, oh, well, I have ADHD. It's like you are uh, choosing yeah. to make yourself a victim and hide behind the excuse. And that's where you're going to fail life is when you decide, oh, that's I can't I do this. Son. Yes. I said, it's not a crutch. We have to recognize it and manage it, but, it, but it's never a crutch. But I was in the same situation your son was in, 
And, you know, having a family and supporting him, I told him, I said, you know, the therapy that I was taking, he said, it, well, it could take six months. It could take six years. I said, dude, I, said, I got responsibility. So I went ahead and did, you know, uh, the Adderall. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still a choice that you right. make. Oh, yeah. Even on the medication. But yeah, yeah. But thank you for admitting that. It, it's good to hear that. Yeah. I have conversations with people five or six times before I talk to them. <laughs> days before I talk to them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Look, look. Yes. Yeah. You and me both. Listen, Eric, I got to let you go there. I appreciate it. But yes, I, y'all, my brain never shuts. It, it's exhausting. Now, what's also exhausting is dirty air in the house. So true story, true story. Uh, I had to, I went to see my parents and let's just say someone had been smoking something in the rental car that made it smell like it had car had run over skunk. <clears throat> and thankfully I had my Eden pure thunderstorm with me in my travel bag. Cause I travel with it. I can hold it in my hand and the car had a USB outlet in it. So I could plug up the Eden pure in the car and just walk away. And it completely freshened the car and got rid of the bad smell. It didn't replace it. It's not a, it's not like a, uh, an essential oil thing. It just eliminates odors and it works so well. I'm a big believer in these right now. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, and you'll see the discount uh, offer of three Eden Pure Thunderstorm air purifiers. They get rid of the dust and the pollen too, but they really, they wipe out odors. One for upstairs, one for downstairs. If you've got a musty basement or an attic space or like I do, I keep it in my travel bag or even in an RV. It works. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is just Eric. My name, E-R-I-C-K. Get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com. Yes, yes, you can. Text Eric to 33777. All right. Well, I can't wait to talk about this next story at the, at the top of the hour. Um, but I got I to gotta tell you about this one first. This may be a sign of the apocalypse. Peggy Jones didn't sense the danger. This is from the Washington Post. Didn't sense the danger hovering in the sky above on July 25th as she rode a tractor mowing the family's six-acre property in Silsby, Texas. Around 8 p.m., some three hours into the chore, a snake fell from the sky and quickly wrapped itself around her right arm. Within seconds, she was attacked again by the hawk that had dropped it. With the snake coiled around her forearm, the hawk snabbed and scraped and clawed her arm as it tried to fly off with its quarry, all the while the snake, which she estimated to be about four feet long, was striking at her face. It hit her glasses at least a couple times, chipping the edge and spitting the liquid she suspects was venom. The brown and white hawk briefly relented, hovering a few feet overhead before swooping down again to wrest the snake from Jones. She said the bird did this four times with increasing intensity each time. All she could do was scream, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. The hawk wrestled the snake off her arm and flew away. It all lasted a few seconds, but she says it felt like an eternity. She is recovering but having terrible, terrible nightmares. Um, My goodness, that, okay. (laughs) I would have nightmares too about that. Oh. I forgot to tell you about Omaha Steaks, too. I got so into the story. We'll have to do that when we come back because um, they got a great deal for you. But uh, we'll do that on the other side of the break. Uh, and, and this amazing story, y'all, a couple from Texas heard on CNN about a village in Italy with houses for sale, and they've decided to run away from the United States because they now hate their country and want to move to Italy. But there's a catch.